Hello, and welcome to Yes, a Stripper podcast. I am your host, Daisy Ducati. In this podcast, we will discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of our lives and experiences as sex workers. Back in the day when I first went for my audition at the Lusty Lady, I had just finished watching live nude girls unite. And I was filled with the need to be a part of this moment in history and just to be at this historical place. And at the time, I had no idea, like, what was going on there and what the future held, but I just knew that I needed to be a part of it. And so I walked through those doors and I auditioned and I was absolutely overjoyed to be hired. And it was just a dream come true just to be a part of it. And now I realize that I started my time at the Lusty Lady at the beginning of the end (laughs) And in a way, I'm glad I did because I was able to have the energy to be helpful at the time when that place that I love so much needed it the most. And even though I wasn't around for the times of the forming of the union or the co-op, um, I was around to learn a lot of the hard lessons of the lusty lady and now that there is a future generation of dancers that is going through something very similar to what made the lusty what it is in history I think it's beautiful to be a part of this elder generation of this sisterhood of dancers that is more like a sorority than a workplace that can pass on these lessons that we've learned and not just how to form a union or like how to run the business, but some of the hard lessons we've learned, like things that we maybe should have done differently and things that could be better in the future. And to be able to pass on that knowledge and information to another generation that I am so very proud of for their efforts in standing up for themselves and their rights. I think it's beautiful to be a part of that. And it's absolutely magical to see several generations of dancers making historical moves come together and have this conversation. I honestly... 10 years ago, I didn't think this day would come that another group of dancers was coming together and fighting against everything (laughs) in order to form a union and really take control of their own labor. And I think it's so beautiful to see this magic happening again and 
it's incredible that we can pass on what we've learned over the years and do it even better this time. So I'm honored. (laughs) I'm honored and overjoyed to be able to present this conversation between dancers from the lusty lady and dancers from star garden to talk about the, the way that unionizing works and the hardships that they have and will encounter (laughs) and the things that they need to know going forward. And I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be able to have this conversation and it's beautiful to bring these generations together and welcome a new generation of the sisterhood. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I know everyone here because you all are amazing and you've shown up for us week after week on the picket line. Uh, We've met you at our co-op shows. Um, We've built such an incredible community throughout this campaign and I, it's like the pride and joy of my entire life up to this point. (laughs) Just like you all, you all. Um, And uh, you know, what we've done together and um, just like, you know, I can't say enough about it. Um, But we wanna get started here. Uh, As you know, earlier today, um, we won our election. So, on that note, um, we are here with the lusty ladies of... um, of the Lusty Lady Theater in San Francisco that was the first strip club to unionize in 1996. Um, And uh, and so we're gonna talk organizing and we're gonna talk union campaigns. Um, It's gonna be amazing. Um, We have Selena here who's... uh, yeah, <laughs> one of our uh, uh, st- uh, Star Garden dancers, you know, and um, Siobhan is a professor at uh, University uh, Cal State Fullerton. Has written incredible books on, um, you know, race and uh, racism in the sex trade and in yes, the sex industry. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I will. The, the book is Unequal Desires, and uh, it's it's on our essential reading list, and it should be on yours too. Um, and uh, Antonia here, uh, founder of Strippers United. Um, <laughs> just like incredible bulwark of this union movement. Um, and we wouldn't be where we are without her. Like I you know, started at Strippers United. So this is, this is a seed that you planted. Um, yes. And we have Star here, one of the original unionizers in 1996. And I can't wait you to tell the story about how you kick things off. <laughs> Oh, and we, yes, the, the, the face on the screen here. Um, this is Christina Decadence, it was her dance name. Um, and she is now a labor lawyer. So uh, one, of, one of the original unionizers as well. And I can't wait to hear her perspective on things today because she was watching in, I think. Um, and we have Pandora here, uh, who 
became the union steward, became the uh, keeper of the flame over many years that the Lusty was open. For, from, well, unionized in 1996 and was uh, operated as a worker-run co-op through to 2013. Mm -hmm. So an incredible Woo! run, and Pandora really, really was a uh, union steward for much of that time, I think, maybe all of that time. Um, and can't wait to hear about your experience, you know, running a worker co-op and what that, that was like. Um, and Reagan here, uh, <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself? Because I feel like you're so good on the mic that we need to hear your an angelic voice. <laughs> um, uh, uh, one of the Star Garden dancers, long time, uh, um, long time, can't, can't words right now, um, long time fan of the Lusties and, uh, you know, learn, learned about the Lusty ladies, um, in my women's studies course in, in undergrad. Um, and, uh, I, I, I like to think that my mentor of those classes, um, who is up there, uh, would be very, very, very proud of this moment. So this is, this is for Joanne. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm one of the one of the leading union organizers at at, at Star Garden. So incredible! I'm uh, yes. So here we go. Commence. Um, so I I want to hear the story of the the beginnings of the union campaign because I, I think many people here would be would love to hear it firsthand. Um, and I think it starts with you kicking kicking through a glass window. Okay, can you hear me? Yep. Not quite kicking through a glass window. No, that that's definitely an exaggeration. I think there was a few things going on, um, but one of the things that brought us all together was an incident where um, we had one-way glass and dancers were getting filmed through the one-way glass, and that was kind of the beginnings of the internet and the beginnings of really good camera technology. <laughs> so essentially we were getting porn made from our images and uh, yeah, uh, not knowing where it was going and nobody getting paid for it. Um, yeah, so essentially I think it was, wasn't it you on stage? My butthole? Yeah, it was your butthole. <laughs> Tell the them the story of my butthole. <laughs> We used to like to put our buttholes in the window, um, and uh, Antonia had her butthole in the window, and I saw a little red light behind her butthole through the one-way glass, which meant her butthole was being videotaped, and uh, I came over, and I think I whispered to you, correct? Move over. Move over there. Get out of the window. <laughs> They're filming your butthole. <laughs> Yep, and then uh, went and called support staff, which was our security, um, to tell them that there was someone that needed to get pulled out. And uh, they pulled him out, or attempted to, but he got away. And um, I, it happened that the general manager was there. Her name was June, and uh, she wasn't always there. She was often in Seattle, which is where there was another club that didn't unionize. Um, but uh, I went down and told her what had happened and I was pretty livid and um, she basically was like, you know, it is what it is. And I was like, it's not 
it is what it is. And, you know, there's a lot of other things. This is one of the big ones right now, but there's a lot of other things, a lot of issues. And she's like, if you don't like it, you don't need to work here. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't like it. And I don't need to work here, but I'm going to continue to work here. And you're going to have to deal with me. Yeah. And, <laughs> but that's the very short <laughs> version, <laughs> which, yes, Siabin was there for, and Antonia and uh, Christina all were around. Yes, very, very incredible moment. So for me, the first indication that there was a problem, um, and, and let me put it in context. So this was a club that was framed as a feminist strip club. So you want to go back circa 1995. We have our women's studies classes. That's what they were called then, right? Everybody is like enlightened, right? We're reading Bell Hooks. We're reading Judith Butler, right? And so, you know, everybody is, is you know, sort of enlightened. And this is at the heart of what was called the um, kind of like, you know, sex worker debates, right? This is coming back from the 80s where there were like other feminists that were like, pornography is bad. It exploits women. We've heard all of this. And so the 90s, when we were working with sort of the beginning of other theories around empowerment and choice, right? So this is sort of the political framing. So the lusty lady was different because it was women owned, right? It wasn't like most strip clubs where there's a man, it was women, right? And I think one of the problems that I first saw was how women can ex exploit other women, right? Like just because it's women owned doesn't mean anything. And so my first inkling that there was a problem um, piggybacking off of what my, my lusty colleague sisters just said here, um, one way windows, right? And then for me, it was the blatant racism, oh. right? And so where I jumped in was I was hired actually by a black woman. And I noticed that we used to have uh, something called private pleasures, which is the equivalent now of like a VIP room or a champagne room, but the lusty lady also didn't have alcohol. So that's why we were allowed to be fully nude because it was behind glass, right? So it wasn't lap dancing. It wasn't some of the other ways that we understand how VIP rooms can work or something like that. So the private pleasures booth was where you want it to work. It was where you can make the most money. You can develop clientele, right? It was... $5 for three minutes versus the quarter it took to operate the peep show, right? And I was told that black women did not make money in there. White men did not want to pay the extra $5 for the three minutes that black women um, were unmarketable. And that as a result, um, we could not work there. And it was blatant, right? And it was another black woman saying that to make it seem like, you know, it's not racist, this is just economics, right? And I'm sure a lot of us have heard that, like, right? It's just what the customer wants, right? Nothing we can do about it, sorry. And I was like, that's unacceptable. There's no, like, survey, there's no sociological, like, you know, you didn't do any marketing around this, you just assume that we won't make money. So I developed a petition and I had other dancers sign it, and that's uh, one of the indicators that we were on to something because they got very, very nervous at the thought of a racial discrimination suit, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. wow. And then the petition, I remember the petition, and I think, was it you that was like, we're going to get fired. We handed a petition, we're going to get fired, period. 
it was me and Velvet, not Velveeta. <laughs> as well as some members of support staff who were leaning towards, you know, we were all, I would say, the large majority of us at the Leslie Lady were coming from an activist background. We were, you know, fairly radical at the time. Um, so the first thought wasn't union, it was wobblies is what it was. And um, that's, we, we looked into that initially. That was like the first serious query. Um, not Julia. <laughs> but um, um. But uh, yeah, first we were looking at the wobblies and I think maybe Christina could even speak to that because we decided against the wobblies um, because they didn't really have the resources uh, available to us that it and after talking to the Exotic Dancers Alliance, correct, we then were told that SEIU was a viable option for us, which is a service workers union. And the international workers of the world, of the world yes. And they're all volunteer, but they're really great and they go way, way, way back. Yeah. Is it a, is it a union or yeah? It, oh, oh, it's a union, 100% volunteer, super super lefty, wobblies. Yeah. In the house. <laughs> Christina. Do you want to talk, Christina? Sure. So yeah, there were a number of things going on when you, the incident with the one-way glass really triggered um, us to start meeting. And then the organizing that Siobhan was doing around private pleasures, that when we, we met and started talking and realized that there were a lot of unfair practices going on. We uh, heard about dancers getting fired for being one minute late or um, the scheduling based on race and based on breast size and um, a number of unfair practices. So we it started out as a petition um, to to get the one-way glass removed. But the more that we talked, the more we realized that there were a lot of issues we wanted to address. Um, simultaneously, there were some dancers at other clubs who were doing um, organizing around worker misclassification and bringing claims to the labor commissioner um, to challenge the um, independent contractor versus employee issues that were going on at the some of the lap dancing club. Because they were independent contractors, they didn't have the union, but they had this organization called the Exotic Dancers Alliance that um, had a relationship with SCIU um, where they could use their office space to meet and get some advice. And through that connection, uh, the dancers at the Lusty Lady, well, dancers and support staff at the Lusty Lady were able to talk to SCIU and realize that the only way we would have any job protection for the organizing that we were doing around not just the one-way windows, but all of the um, unfair practices was if we unionized. And we, we didn't go into these meetings thinking that that's the direction we were going to go in. But the more we researched it, we realized that we didn't, you know, that the protections for ununionized workers are pretty weak. You know, you, you can prove that you know, workers have a right to concerted activity, but the only way we would have protection and be able to make any meaningful change um, was to unionize. And so that's really what kick, kicked it off for us. Yeah. 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 
Um, so I have a couple of follow-up questions. Um, so what's really interesting to hear you talk about this stuff is it's like the same stuff, almost yeah, to yeah, a T. Yeah. Almost like, yeah. exactly. I was told that exact same thing. If you don't like it, you can leave. I left Star Garden the first time I sued them. <laughs> I got a settlement. <laughs> so that was that. You know, I've heard that before. And uh, what, the women woman ownership, um, Reagan and I worked at Jumbo's Clown Room. If Juliet is here, uh, shout out to Juliet. We... Yes, Juliet, Juliet, Reagan, and I were working on a unique campaign at Jumbo's um, before the pandemic, and were not rehired. Um, but that was you know, speak speak to Jumbo's a little bit. Yeah, yeah that it also has a false um, reputation for being a feminist. Uh, establishment because it's woman owned because of the aesthetic and um, it has a lot of like social clout. Um, it's not what it seems. It is, you know, I, we, we all know that a woman owned establishment doesn't mean shit. And so like I, I, that, that club exploited the dancers more than other clubs that I've worked at. And we were um, like faced more disrespect, more inhumane treatment, more um, just absolutely egregious um yeah just just egregious treatment from from the staff in general and especially the boss um and the culture of fear in that place was unfortunately at the time insurmountable it was there, there was no that place was not ready to to um band together that place was not was not ready for an organizing wave uh, was not ready for us. <laughs> was not ready for us. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, Star Garden was. <laughs> but, um, can I mention something about how kind of some points of affinity, similarities between what happened 27 years ago and what's going on today, <laughs> if you can believe that? Siobhan and I were talking about this, about how, you know, it's funny the main similar things are that we were being filmed without our consent on a regular basis and fought against that. And you got fired for some, you got fired for that. And then the other thing though, that I think is a bigger, more massive wrecking ball is that there is an irrational fear that strip club owners and managers have of the collective power of workers asking for very reasonable, basic protections. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, going off with the last thing, I remember when I was speaking to the DJ who's currently working there, um, I remember telling him, like, hey, you have to keep this in the down low, but we're about to, you know, like, do a petition. And he was like, who's organizing it? And I was like, oh, it's uh, Velveeta, Charm, and Reagan. And he's like, oh, shit, I watched their, uh, what's that one interview that you guys did? Like the black and white? Yeah, soft white underbelly. Yeah, he's like, they have no idea what's coming to them. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the DJ still works there. Um, he doesn't talk to me at all anymore. But I'm hopeful that he voted yes. We're hopeful. Um, but yeah, I got fired the last night that I was there. Um, some customer was recording Charlie. I believe Charlie's right there. Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> and I went up to him and I told him to delete the video and he got really aggressive with me to the point where we had to like get security to come over. 
Um, there was only one security on the floor, and his job is to watch the floor, but he apparently had to like wave him down across the, you know, the strip club. And so when I wave him down, apparently it grabbed everybody's attention in the club. And so then Jenny came. And then, yeah, boo, Jenny. <laughs> yeah. And then she told me to, like, leave and, like, leave the situation. Like, I'm such a drama queen and, like, I shouldn't be making, like, bringing so much attention to myself and all this stuff. And then the next day I got denied entrance and I figured it was because of that. Yep. I didn't get fired then. I got fired the next day, which is bullshit, but yeah. Yeah, that was scary, too, because, like, Ava and Honey were in the chat saying, like, we don't know where Selena went. Like, uh, we took sugar here, we gave her a ride, and, like, now we just don't know where she is. And Steve, they were, like, yeah. really creepily, like... Steve was, like... Um, so Steve... Oh, so that day, my car also got stolen. The day I got fired, so that was shit. So I had to get a ride from Honey and Ava to the club the next day and then they went in and they didn't let me in and so then I was like hey Steve like I have no money and I have no car like how am I going to get home and he's like oh well if you want Ava and Honey can also go home with you and they can't come back ever again and I'm like why would I bring them down with me and eventually I like talked to a houseless person and I was like how the fuck do I get to Koreatown like tell me but yeah <laughs> yeah psycho steve <laughs> shout out to steve the psycho oh sorry and just for i i think we know the main cast of characters but for anyone who doesn't um totally fine steve and jenny are the husband and wife owners of star garden they they came into the ownership of star garden during the pandemic and so when the club reopened they they owned it but so it, it, they've only owned it since um you know since reopening which was june of 2021 so just just for some backstory yeah, so I guess where I'm kind of going with this is like, you know, conditions have been relative, like we've dealt with the same stuff for, you know, almost 30 years. And I, I would love to like hear about kind of the context within which you were organizing and, and if there was anything going on in the greater, you know, society or anything that you felt like, like there was some kind of charge in the air. Um, I think there, there are different factors that we've spoken to in the press that kind of created this, like coming out of the pandemic and you have this beautiful sh uh, book, Pandemic Peep Show, um, where you documented the, the amazing virtual shows and Reagan, you know, did the Cyber Clown Girl show, super successful, where you raised like $50,000 or something um, for nonprofits. Um, and that was only part of the money they made. <laughs> so it's super successful, super creative. I love being part of that. Um, but anyway, so uh, we came out of the pandemic. We were feeling the solidarity. We felt like we could do this. We, we were, you know, the community kind of came together during that time. And so it was sort of, um, yeah, so conditions felt it felt like there, there were some contributing factors. So I'm wondering what was going on. Yeah, I think that for me and for the era in which we were born, I would love to hear what Pandora has to say about this too. But um, we were coming of age in a time where we were protesting in the streets all the time and it was actually working. It worked. We, we got the things that we were after and we passed laws and we had got needle exchange and we, um, the, the things that we were doing for gay rights, for LGBTQ rights, um, <laughs> it was working. So protest was, was working and we were pretty fired up about rights. And um, so what would you say? Um, decadence or Pandora or 
I guess to add to that, I would say a couple of things. So this is the 90s. So this is after the AIDS epidemic, yeah. right? And so I am totally someone who grew up under that shadow. Like my whole sexual development was under AIDS. Um, I was 10 in 1982. Ronald Reagan was president. Um, so, right. So, um, right. With a foreseeing of Trump. But anyway, so, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so, um, I guess I say all that to say that, you know, AIDS was very scary, but, and it was a lot of activism. So act up was like still on the street for those of you that remember. Right. Um, and what you're talking about in terms of activism, there was a lot of activism going on, uh, pre-internet. So it's not like you could just like, you know, like a page or, t you know, it's a very different time where you have to do old school flyers. Like I appreciated the flyers I saw out there in the entrance that very much made me feel like I was like back in like zines and, you know, and used to like draw stuff, you know what I mean? So, um, that was cool. But, you know, again, I think a lot of things, particularly in my memory, popped off. So AIDS, the Rodney King riot mm -hmm. happened a couple of years before the Lusty Lady Unionized, right? And so there was a lot of activism kind of, again, foreseeing Black Lives Matter, right? So, you know, so there's a lot of things like history repeating itself now, right? Um, I think the other thing I would say, and I, I would like to hear what other people think, um, people were not out about stripping in the 90s. So I, I really feel like it was a parallel almost to the gay and lesbian movement where people were closeted. A lot of people were frightened. There was a lot of consequences um, back in the 90s. Like if you had kids, you could have your kids taken away by now what's called CPS, right? So, um, and, and probably still, right? So I think that the climate was of such where there wasn't a lot of media attention like we didn't have J-Lo on the pole, you know, like it wasn't anything, right? There was no, there were no like classes about pole dancing or anything like that, right? Um, it was extremely stigmatized, right? Yeah. I was in ACT UP San Francisco, and I think that's a really important component. You too, Jessica, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Your activism, and because you were young, you were like, those guys were way cooler than I was. Like, I... <laughs> I met you when you were like 18 and you were just like, we're getting, we're, we're, we're walking out. Like, I'm going to change shit around here. Literally, that's what you said. And I was just like, okay, yeah. But like, <laughs> you were in ACT UP in Maine before that at a very young age. So that was part of it, right? I was in ACT UP and I was in ACT UP with someone that's here actually too. Where's Jed? <laughs> ACT UP. Small, small, small world of weirdos out there, everyone. So <laughs> forget six degrees of separation, try like two, literally. Cause I knew her 30 years ago, apologize. I knew them 30 years ago and yeah. now I knew you 28 years ago. Yeah. And now full circle. Wow. Full circle. <laughs> Crazy. And Judd did the um, graphics in a, an incredible book called A Working Gal's Guide to Unionizing Your Strip Club. Oh my God. Judd did, did the, oh yeah, Judd did the <laughs> graphic design. Wait, we didn't know that part. Yeah, he did the I have read design. that cover to cover multiple times. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's a very small world. And like, you talk, you talk about, conditions, and I know you had the pandemic, but you were also armed with stripper rights. 
stripper labor rights. We were meeting and we were talking. Um, strippers, I'm the founder of Strippers United. Strippers United in the house. I see some people back here. And when I talk to Stargarden dancers, they always say like we were, we had meetings. We were talking to Jordan Palmer. We were getting fierce legal direction from Jordan Palmer and Strippers United. And we were talking through the pandemic, and so as 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 difficult and awful and alienating as the pandemic was, you were busy building a movement. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know when I'm gonna get to sleep, but it's been it's been exhausting, but so worth it. So worth it. <laughs> So there's a number of questions that came up, especially I think Siobhan hit on like some really interesting points. The only one I can re recall right now <laughs> is um, you talk about, and this is something that's like blowing my mind, organizing without social media and without cell phones and without the internet. Um, uh, and I'm curious and kind of like the, the benefits and like the pros and cons you see of like, like what, you know, what are the things that were great about organizing with, with, uh, phones and talking to people on the phone and like flyering and, and arts on flyers. And we still do art on flyers, but, um, and then what are like the, and you could probably speak, you know, Selena, we can speak to like the pros and cons of social media and, and, uh, like to talk about that a little bit. Can I just quickly say you guys have been killing it. <laughs> Fucking killing it. Killing it. Uh, the picket line has been a content factory. The I'll just picket <laughs> line is amazing. I showed the picket line to Christina uh, Decadence. Just the, you saw the stuff on Instagram and we were both just waxing poetic on how brilliant you guys really have done these eight months on the picket line like all of the the themes and the games and the just like making yeah. it so dynamic like yeah social um, media aside like just what you guys did was was pretty impressive to have it be a, a theater really like full-on theater you took the show to the streets like it was, I, I want to thank like a lot of the graphics, like the amazing graphics were done by Stoney and Mr. Lord. Yeah. Shout out. <laughs> They're above and beyond with us, uh, Scavatha. And also the picket themes are Velveeta and Reagan and Lilith, the theater kids. So it's like the, the strippers met theater kids. So I, I learned so many things about theater that I never, ever, ever thought I would have learned so I, I give them I mean I'm pretty sure all of them are pretty artistic and yeah I give credit to them for that <laughs> from theater kids strippers to unionizing with actors equity association it's so good <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what did you kind of like about the the time before social media and and like how like how did you build your community during that time and and like who was supporting you when you were facing retaliation during the campaign and um yeah. Like how did you kind of build your community? Do you want to speak to this? Christina? Sure. We had um we had phone trees and a lot of um, in-person meetings. So when there were issues going on, we'd schedule like six meetings in a week so people could come to whichever meeting fit their schedule. And so it was a lot of just old school organizing, like talk, 
making phone calls, talking to people one-on-one and in small group meetings. And, um, and we had to do that to come back because their, their tactics were, you know, just out of the union busters playbook, you know, which might understand your club also hired a union busting firm. And, and so, you know, they tried to, you know, jam all their misinformation, um, with these, uh, meetings, you know, captive audience meetings and so that we would have to counter every, every move they made, but we were incredibly unified. I mean, I think part, so, you know, there's pros and cons. I, I, I look at the social media and cell phones and think, Oh, it must've been so much easier, but I think it's just a tool. What it, mm-hmm. what organizing about is about is about organizing people. And there's many tools you can use to do that. Um, but for us, uh, because we were, we were in touch with each other all the time and having in meeting face to face, we all became really close and we were incredibly unified. And, and so I, I don't know if that was an advantage or disadvantage. I think there are pros and cons to both. And it's really, again, it's just about um, making those connections with people and, and building unity, um, which you can do with or without social media. So that's basically how we did it. And there was no short of innovative ideas to fundraise as we did when we were locked out of the Lusty Lady. We did our own fundraising as well, supporting each other and finding clients that we could tap for help and seeing them in creative ways and just feeding each other and taking care of each other. So it's hard to organize. It's hard to pick it. It's hard to get locked out. Um, another thing that is that uh, we were talking, I don't know if we were talking about this right now, but something that's been on my mind from today is that um, strip club owners and managers try to render our workforce invisible as though we were not working there, that they've never seen us, that they never hired us. I've been told that after working somewhere eight years, I never hired you. And they've been doing that yeah. for 27 years. Today, and they, just they did never that worked today. there. We don't know they them. They're not employees. <laughs> yeah. I've never met you. Yeah. It's such an insult. <laughs> so that's something, um, that dehumanization move on their part, um, that is what we have to work against. And that's, that's decrim work. That's, that's the work. Like, that we have you here to mirror back to us. We are here. We exist. We deserve human rights on the shop floor. We deserve a union. That's the work. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I think we have uh, just, we can maybe go for like another five to 10 minutes, but I want to make sure that we touch on, a, well, we talk about and discuss a very important topic, and that is um organizing around racism in our industry. And we, you know, we bring, you know, so um, the Rodney King riots, Black Lives Matter happened recently and the amazing organizing that um, Black Lives Matter did. And we all participated in those protests and it was just an incredible moment for us, for not for us, but um, for every, for this country. Um, and we, before us came the New York stripper strike, um, the Portland stripper strike, uh, Chicago, Philly. Um, there's uh, so we really want to um, 
like, uh, it's, it's incredible organizing that's been going on. And I guess I'm curious is we're, we're, you know, we're going into contract bargaining. We want to get a contract that addresses discrimination and racism in the club. And um, the, the other organizing that's been done around racism has not been union focused. But I'm curious uh, what kind of issues um, you know, targeting racism were addressed through unionizing, and then what other issues did you that did you experience in the workplace that you felt needed some different kind of organizing tactics? And like, you know, what's the kind of like the the dual strategy? And I think that's a great question. Um, so one of the things that I said back then, and you know, obviously I, I say it now, is racism is never a marginal issue. It's always at the core, right? And there's always a problem when there's not a lot of people of color somewhere in a workforce, right? Um, I think we tend to normalize that and, you know, like what was told to me, oh, well, you know, they just don't do well here. I don't know what the problem is. But really, I think um, we always have to question that, right? And so for us, um, kind of what I understand you all um to probably want to do when you get to the contract, we made sure that there was anti-discrimination language, like a, a basically an anti-discrimination clause that was in our contract, right? And we can talk a little bit more about like when you get to that next step of negotiating a contract, right? Um, what is that about, right? Um, so for us, um, as I mentioned, I had filed uh, this petition. And one of the things that our club did, because they obviously did not want us to unionize, is they tried to do concessions. And so they immediately uh, said that, you know, some black dancers can work at the club after I put the petition up, right? So they started to carefully rotate black dancers throughout the evening, but it was always just one on every, right? And I think that was the stage too, like you could never have two black dancers, it had to just be one. And, you know, so they did the same thing there. And we knew that just because they revoked that policy, right, there's nothing in writing, right? They just didn't want us to unionize, right? So we knew that we can't trust that, right? Um, and so I remember I filed a complaint with the EEOC. Yeah. So that, yeah. right? <laughs> And, and the reason why is because it's important to have those sort of complaints in writing, like that there's a paper trail legally that a club has been discriminatory, right? And so that was done before the actual union happened. And so that, of course, created like, wow, this club has, you know, problems. Um, and then obviously when we started to do the contract um, and the negotiations, negotiations around that, we had a clause around um, anti-discrimination and, and particularly race. And we did hire more black women in the time that we unionized than the club has been in existence. Like I remember there were a lot of black women that were hired. Um, and so the other thing I'll say, and I think this is any workforce, when we're trying to quote unquote include People, I would even challenge that language, right? Include, but that's often sort of like how it plays out. Like we want to include people. Um, I think one of the challenges that I saw at the Lusty, so we had an increase of black dancers, yay, um, but they didn't always feel welcomed, right? So it, again, like with any work environment, so once you hire people that are marginalized, it's like, but you want to retain. <laughs> Right? So, you know, we hear this, you don't just recruit, you want to retain, right? And so that was a challenge. That was a challenge that we had because we did have more black women, 
but sometimes there was complaints about rap music on the jukebox, which we used to call jukebox again, 90s, right? Um, Because people had CDs and, you know, all this or that, you know, someone was wearing too much oil or, you know, little things that kind of made it seem like, okay, we can work here, but black dancers eventually left. And they wanted to actually go to the clubs that were deemed, quote unquote, worse and non-union because those... um, I don't want to call them like these rigid sort of like ways in which we sort of, you know, control people um, didn't exist at the clubs that had less status. Right. So that was something. And so with you doing your next step, that's something that I would also urge you to, you know, again, learn from us that, yeah, once you, you know, do that, you know, language you will probably have hopefully more diverse people. But then what what is going to happen in the culture of the club to make it so that it they're really they really want to be there? You know what I mean? I just want to say that what you've said resonates a lot with what we've the feedback we've been getting and, and the looking at the different movements that exist now um, and what they're fighting for. So thank you. Um, I want to touch on a couple more questions. Uh, I want to get to Pandora here. Um, <laughs> yeah, Pandora was telling me some, uh, you know, really interesting uh, that um, stories last night about, you know, the transition, I guess, uh, th- to worker ownership and um, the sign of kind of the tr- struggles that you face and and. Uh, you know, eventually getting priced out um, and and sneaking into the lusty lady after it was <laughs> gutted. <laughs> well, no, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, if if you can just uh, speak to what that was like running a club with your friends, because that's what we want to do, you know. So, um, <laughs> like, what are what were kind of the things that that you found uh, were really that you were able to the improvements and then things that were, yeah, I guess you know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So basically for short history, um, when the club, not long after we had unionized, um, some funny stuff was going on with the books and this and that. And so they told us that they, after everything we had done to unionize and, and like now we have this union situation at the club and things are going pretty good, um, that they were going to close it. And so we got together, um, super shortened version of this story, uh, we got together and decided to buy it. Um, so we buy the business, not the property, obviously. So um, we pulled our money and bought the money and bought the club and spent a bunch of time paying it off. Um, so that became, made us a worker-owned cooperative. Um, <laughs> And one thing with that was a lot of people were confused, like, why did we keep the union if we now owned the club? And it is very important because people in charge can still, shit can get real weird. Um, And so it's really important to have, for us, it was really important to have that in place because that could, you know, it could change or whatever. And we didn't have um, closed shop yet. We still had to negotiate that, and then, which we got. And then um, the, I forget what it's called. Is it not maintenance of membership? That was the... Mm. Closed shop. That was the open shop thing, which we did eventually get closed shop. But where they, um, if what's it called when if someone they buy the business that you have to keep the union contract, successorship language. Thank you. Um, So concerns with that, with like keeping the union, because if we didn't keep the union, 
and someone bought it, then we would lo- they would just you know we could lose it. So um, we kept we wanted to keep the union, and that was actually became really really essential in um, keeping everything fair and keeping things from going like total. Um, oh gosh, what's that? That was like it got a little weird. <laughs> Anarchy is good and bad. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. There's like, we're like, there's no rules. We can do whatever we want. Oh no, there's no rules. Everyone's just doing what they want. Like, it got really weird. Right. Um, it's hard to be the captain. It got, it was good. It's hard to be the captain. People confuse um, responsibility with authority. And when everyone is punk rock, like, then anyone who takes on authority becomes the enemy and no one wanted to do it and so it became created a lot of tension (laughs) and somehow I became the mom of everybody and I don't know why um because that's what happens that's what uh, yeah whoops um and they ended up yeah it got put in my name and they handed me keys and they're like good luck and I was like fuck my life so um that happened um, but yeah, so me, you know, having we had a board of directors, and we had you know an, an operations manual and bylaws, and we had to have a lot of meetings, and it was, you know, and and doing the books and doing payroll and you know maintenance, and I would, you know, you're the owner, so like if you know the power goes out in the middle of the night, I had to get up and go in and find the fuse box and fix it. You know, it wasn't like well somebody should do that. Oh, that's me. So like that, that, you know, being ready for that and it's hard not to get resentful and like want to walk away. And so a lot of people did. Um, And so things were kind of like, you know, turning over all the time. There was high turnover of who was in charge of things. Um, But also people like really, really, really stepped up. Um, There was this thing about like things being demystified, that there was this, like, thing a lot of us have where come from where, you know, depending on where we come from, um, of, like, lacking formal education of any kind or whatever, where it was like, I can't do this, I'm not smart enough to do this, I won't know how to do this, and it was like, we just looked it up, you know, or asked people, it was like, oh, I can't, you know, kind of like when you're like, maybe I'll just Google, like, how to change this thing on my car, and you're like, oh, actually, I can do that, like, it was kind of like that, like, it's not as hard as people made it think, as think it was. I'm kind of rambling, sorry. Um, <laughs> lack of sleep. Um, and then um, at the end, when it went down, there was like, so basically the sh- what, hap- what happened was the um, owners tripled the rent like overnight. We basically we got a notice that they're going to triple the rent. And we were already like really squeaking by, you know, cost of San Francisco living is hard, like, all that stuff, bills were big, and um, we had a lot of repairs that we had, you know, needed to put into the theater because by the time it became ours, they had kind of let it f- fall apart. Um, so, you know, we wanted to pay everyone a nice, like, a good living wage. Like, we weren't going to be, you know. So when they did that, uh, we looked at the books and we're like, "This isn't. This isn't going to work. There's no way this is going to work." And so we. Um, made a decision that we wanted to go out on our terms that like struggling and struggling and struggling and like not making it and like having the narrative be that we failed wasn't what we wanted we wanted to be able to say we've decided to to walk away press still did what they would with it because they're going to do that but um and there was a lot of sort of like the media coverage was very like well I guess that goes to show you like strippers can't run a business and like we'd run it for you know 10 plus years just fine and we never went like in the right like we our, our 
our employees were paid, our bills were paid, everything was good. Like we didn't, you know, businesses go under all the time. And so it became the running joke because it was like a lot of stuff and the city was closing and like Barnes and Noble closed. And it was like, I got quoted in the Chronicle or something being like, I guess it was run by strippers because clearly like, <laughs> you know, like, like why do businesses close? Like they do it all the time. Like that, that wasn't it. Like that's not it. We made a decision to close. So like... Yeah, but up until we closed, we had, it was pretty wild. <laughs> Which is where I just want to say that Steve and Jenny have been running their business for just a, like a year, and uh, they're already in the hole. Like, what What are we, what, how, how, how in the hole are they? Like, over a quarter million dollars now? Like, like maybe, like, yeah, they, they testified they took out a $100,000 loan to keep themselves afloat. Their profits are down by 60%. <laughs> Their revenue is down 60% since we started stripping, or, well, no, protesting. It was not long after we started stripping that we started protesting, so. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so who are really the, the, uh... well, oh, well, we, we suspect, I don't know if we can talk, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, that was <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, they're they're even more, yeah. They're in trouble. Yeah, how are they? Yeah, they're never going to get out of trouble. Um, <laughs> which is a perfect segue to talk to Christina um, uh, about dec decadence, about um, today's result and, like, w what you see uh, as a labor professional expert, um, what you see, yeah, Former shop steward, like what you kind of how you interpreted the result today. So, what was the final vote? Yeah, um, we <laughs> there were yeah sixteen contested ballots. That's us. Um, one uh, uncontested ballot and one voided ballot. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, the, it, it, it's as much as things change, they also stay the same. You know, like the union busting playbook is, it, it seems like the tactics that the lusty management and their lawyers used against us were similar ones to um, what your club owners and, and lawyers did and to, you know, to fight it, even though you clearly had the support of all the dancers, but yet they're still going to use any tools at their disposal to try to undermine um, your power. Um, but you know, you're stronger than they are, and and just and your unity is 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 your biggest strength. So um, I'm just so honored to be here. Um, you know, it was a night like this. You know, 26 plus years ago when we did our vote count, and then to see you here, it's just. It really warms my heart, and I just congratulations to all of you. Thank you. Um, it's just it's it's a crazy you know like when people talk about you know their dreams coming true and like if you believe it you can do it. This is like one of those moments for you know me personally. I think for like all of us you know being in the industry for many years, some of us that this is like the before, you know, versus now, it's like, um, you know, obviously we had, you, y'all were like the, the lamppost, <laughs> like the shining light. Um, and just getting from the dark place to like where there's like, 
you know, we're, we're, we've crossed a bridge, you know, and I want to, I want to bring everybody over that bridge, you know, um, and I, and I think we can do it. And so, uh, hell yeah, stripper, strippers united forever. <laughs> you can do it and you are doing it. So I think, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> what? Oh, I said the lusty ladies walk so we could run. <laughs> yes, in heels. <laughs> thank you all, and uh, thank you. And uh, this has just been such an incredible conversation. Thank you for having us. Stay strong, stay unified. Thank you for listening. This has been a production with Period Podcast Network. You can follow us on Instagram at Period Podcast Network. Also at Yes, a Stripper Podcast. We are on Twitter at Yes, a Stripper Pod. If you like what you heard today, please remember to subscribe. And also check out our sponsor, Xpol USA. Just follow the link below in the description or go to bit.ly slash xpolyas. about uh, living purely out of spite. <laughs> fuck this system, fuck the cops, fuck the boss at your job. I don't want to die. I want to see stuff, fuck my skin, fuck my bones, and fuck the U.S. drums. I don't want to see. I want to start rioting. I don't want to see.
And that's on period. Network.